Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, January 28th. Protesters are converging on Ottawa for Saturday's trucker convoy against vaccine mandates as police gear up for the protest and any potential violence that might ensue. Chief political correspondent David Aiken joined us from Global's Parliament Hill Bureau and breaks down what we can expect in our nation's capital. Calgary Mayor Jyoti Gondek joined us for our weekly chat about all things YYC. Today, we talked to the mayor about Green Line cost overruns, the potential lifting of pandemic-related restrictions, and the issue of homelessness in our city. YMCA Calgary and Fresh Roots have partnered up with the Leftovers Foundation to launch Kin Cafe and Kin Market. It's a pay-what-you-want market where Calgarians from all walks of life can access healthy, fresh groceries. We learn how this wonderful program works from Kin Program Manager Paul Ananzello. And every February, participating cafes and restaurants compete for the coveted title of YYC's Best Hot Chocolate. To find out about this delicious contest and where the money raised will go, we talk with Cindy Browning, event coordinator for Meals on Wheels. Hundreds, perhaps thousands of protesters converging on Parliament Hill, many of them arriving in trucks, many of them in pickups, SUVs and cars. The original motivation was the imposition of previously announced rules that truckers who cross the border have to be vaccinated. But a lot of the so-called Freedom Convoy participants, as they're now calling it, are arriving at the nation's capital with other grievances. Our chief political correspondent for Global News, David Aiken, joins us now from our Parliament Hill Bureau. Good morning to you, David. Thanks so much for being with us. Hey, Sue, how are you doing? Excellent, thank you. Okay, so, I mean, what are we expecting today? I know the big protest is supposed to arrive actually on Parliament Hill tomorrow, but what's happening today? Well, don't forget, there's multiple convoys. There's a convoy from Western Canada, the one that came through uh, Calgary on its way to uh, to here. That convoy, the convoy from Western Canada, was in uh, northern Ontario uh, a couple of nights ago. It woke up yesterday morning in Thunder Bay. This is a convoy. This is this is Western Canada combined. The OPP in, in Thunder Bay said they counted 113 trucks and 280 cars so about 400 people from western 400 vehicles from western canada but that western canada convoy got stuck into all sorts of terrible weather uh just uh, whiteouts snowstorms is that you know if you try to drive the north shore of lake superior it sort of lived up to its reputation and there was highway clothes closing etc uh just got some word from the ontario ministry of transportation that convoy split up into two groups uh, one's coming down from Sault Ste. Marie, one's coming down Highway 11, if you know Ontario very well, from Cochrane. They're probably still about 10 hours or more from the national capital. So that's the Western Canada convoy. Then there's a bunch of people, some already here, from the Toronto area, from uh, nearby in Kingston. There's a group coming from Montreal later today. I, I have seen some sort of those those Quebecois fleur-de-lis flags flying from some of the trucks that are on the hill. Um, and there's another group coming from Nova Scotia. So they, they will be here today. But why are they here? Um, yes, the vac- this started to, to um, essentially lift vaccine mandates. And in fact, uh, one of the organizers has just put out um, a uh, official daily event and safety report. Um, this is a, the first they promise of, of several. They say they've been in contact with uh, police authorities and they want to communicate where they are and who they are. They don't want any violence. They're trying to do some intelligence in their own networks to make sure there's nobody who wants to be uh, violent. But they do stress they're going to come here. They say thousands of trucks will be here. Again, we haven't been able to count thousands. 
Um, but they say thousands of trucks enough to shut down Ottawa until the vaccine mandates are lifted. That is the goal of the organizers. But we know there's other protesters. We, we've seen them online. They've they sent out manifestos where they think they can convince the governor general to dissolve the government, force an election, or we're not sure what. That's not going to happen. But um, uh, the police here, they're using the word it's going to be fluid. So take that for what it's will. I think people, uh, the security services around Parliament Hill are a little bit anxious because we really don't know what to expect. Mm -hmm. Will people be bringing weapons? Um, again, organizers are wanting it all to be peaceful. Certainly security folks are ready to provide a peaceful, safe environment for the protest. But um, you never know. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's the issue, what you're saying there. You've got the, the core of the protests that, you know, I think people can understand what's happening and why they're doing what they're doing. And then you get some of these other organizations that are glomming on and, and using it for their own. And that's, you know, example, the Proud Boys or the Yellow Vesters, et cetera. And I think that's where the police are, are getting concerned, right? With, with some saying they hope there's some sort of a January 6th type event, like what they saw in the United States. That's a bit scary. Well that's exactly it. And again, on some of these uh, social media pages for the organizers, some of the very organizers, you're quite right. It's 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 as plain as day. You can just look at their own uh, social pages. They're they're involved with hate groups, anti-Semitic groups, Holocaust deniers. Some of them are known to national security agencies like the RCMP and CSIS, and they have associated themselves with the convoy uh, and the protesters. And uh, and we'll see now. The conservative conservative MPs, conservative MPs from Alberta, from all across the country, are four square behind the protest, but they're limiting it. They say, you know, you shouldn't demonize all these protesters. They're there with legitimate beef about vaccine mandates, and they blame the media for again demonizing the protesters. And that has been heard. And yesterday, journalists, including many of our colleagues, were verbally assaulted, physically assaulted, spat on by supporters of these protesters as they went through uh, Toronto. Uh, and so it's going to be a very interesting environment as people arrive here in Parliament Hill, um, where we're trying to provide, you know, accurate coverage above all, and certainly fair coverage, listening to all the voices. But it uh, may be difficult, again, if people are uh, are chasing you around uh, around Parliament yeah. Hill. Well, let's hope uh, everybody stays safe and, and it's just a, a nice, peaceful protest. The message gets heard and nobody gets hurt. Thank you so much for your time this morning, David. Appreciate it very much. Okay, no problem. Cheers. That is Chief Political Correspondent for Global News, David Aiken. And the costs of the Green Line project running into significant increases. How will this impact the future of the project? We'll talk about that and lots more this morning as we are joined, as we do every Friday, by Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Good morning, Miss Mayor. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing, Sue? Madam Mayor, I think. Sorry, I said Miss Mayor. I don't know where that don't came worry from. About I just it. made that up. Uh, <laughs> Mayor, we wanted to start off with uh, talking about the Premier's comments yesterday, Jason Kenney, uh, saying that he hoped for widespread relaxation of public health measures, possibly by the end of March. Do you think it's good to give us a target like that at this point? I don't know how he found the target. Mm -hmm. I always like to see targets around public health and safety based on some sort of data but i guess you know hopefulness is something um yeah don't know how he came up with that date well let's hope that it is based on on numbers and and you know how we're doing in icu and hospital numbers overall so uh unfortunately still up a little bit and and they're not as low as we'd like them to be so at this point we're in the state that we are in let's talk about uh, the green line next uh, what what was the cause of the increased cost of green line is it just the fact that everything is costing more these days 
Yeah, some of the delays that we had in getting Greenline approved uh, has put us in this position where we are seeing global projects either put on hold or facing increasing costs just because of the pandemic, supply chain, logistics issues, and the Green Line is no exception to this. So we were just um, given a cautionary tale of the fact that some of our expenses could be higher than anticipated in the past. But so much of this depends on when things start up, the staging, and what happens as we start to emerge from the pandemic. Does it put the future of the project in jeopardy at all, or is it just uh, the cost of doing business? You know, there was a, a very interesting comment back about if the only reason that we would ever do anything around public transit would be during a, a buoyant economy none of our lines would have ever been built. So we need to remain strong in our vision for public transit in our city. We need to stay true to the project. It has been something that's needed for decades. And to not have a north-south transit spine uh, in terms of rapid transit would be a travesty. So we remain committed to the project. We just need to keep monitoring the cost. And where are we at with it right now? What's what's the state of, of uh, construction? Uh, there are uh, tender processes that are underway. Um, we have been doing a lot of the, the right-of-way utility stuff. Um, so it's early days still, um, but you will start to see more activity soon. All right. I, I saw this on your Facebook page yesterday. I wanted to talk about it because I think it's a brilliant idea. We've been we, you know, discussing forever now what to do with all of the empty office towers that we have downtown. And now one, anyway, maybe more to come, hopefully, converted to affordable housing for our, you know, the folks in the city that are experiencing homelessness. Yeah, it was a pleasure to be um, inside the building where home space is uh, putting up 82 units of affordable housing um, to be supported by the types of services that uh, that, uh, clients may need to access. And there's also an emergency shelter in that building. So it's really well contemplated, very thoughtful way of filling that vacancy. And I think it's going to demonstrate to people that conversions are possible. Not every building is suited to go from office to residential. But when they are, and we can see that our nonprofit partners are able to make it work, let's start being creative with what we're doing. Yeah, thinking outside the box, right? Do you know, is it something that other cities have done and and been able to accomplish? Were we able to look at other places that have been able to do things like this? Well, I can tell you many years ago, I think it was about 2015, we had the former mayor of Pittsburgh in town, Tom Murphy. And in 2017, we had uh, Federico Pena, who's the former mayor of Denver and both of them talked about how contemplating real estate differently and looking at vacancies differently, particularly around affordability of housing, was key to their recovery. So it has been done and uh, we can see that uh, it is starting to take hold here as well. On the issue of homelessness, we are hearing in the news this morning, four C train stations have been closed 24-7 for the foreseeable future, the indoor aspect of the station itself, to try and keep people experiencing homelessness from camping out there. Your thoughts on that? I mean, that's not a solution for our homeless problem. Well, I can tell you, when we say that it is people who are unhoused that are causing issues at C train stations, that's not actually the case. There are a lot of people who are doing things in those stations that are incredibly dangerous, and it's impacting people in positions of vulnerability as well as transit riders who are just trying to get home from work. So this is definitely not a blame situation. Those stations are not closed because people are unhoused. They are closed because there's dangerous activity, and we are trying to figure out the best way to keep everyone safe. 
Uh, we have conversations that are happening between service providers who take care of folks in need of housing, as well as uh, crisis response teams like the DOPE team, uh, the Bear Clan Patrol, uh, Be the Change YYC, as well as all of our internal departments are having joint conversations to figure out the best plan forward. And we try to get people from those transit stations to the services they really need to get them the help and get them in the queue for proper supportive housing. So if anything, it has brought us together in terms of seeking solutions. Perfect. Can you hang on a couple of minutes? Love to chat I and can. ask a few more questions coming up after the break. We'll be back in two with Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Mayor, Hi. let us talk uh, about uh, the city working with Indigenous groups to find a space for an Indigenous gathering place. What kind of progress is being made and, and what are we hoping to do? Well, there is an Indigenous Gathering Place Society that has been formed. It was truly a grassroots initiative, and it is folks that um, understand how to bring members of our various Indigenous groups together, have a conversation about what a proper gathering place would look like, where it should be, um, what it should offer, and what does it mean to Indigenous people. So we have been listening to the advice of the Indigenous Gathering Place Society And there's a lot of meaning towards having this place that's somewhere at the confluence of the rivers. And so we've taken that very seriously. There's a notice of motion that's coming to council indicating that this is what the society has told us and we should contemplate finding a place like this for that space. Mayor, this is maybe a little out of the blue for you, but uh, I'm curious, you're a few months into your elected role as mayor of Calgary now. There have been some things that have been really, really positive some, and some things that have been definitely roadblocks. Are you pleased so far with what you and council have been able to achieve? Yeah, absolutely, Sue. I think um, if the pandemic has taught us anything and our recession has taught us anything, there's always going to be ups and downs. And I think we were a city that for a very long time rode a wave. And we also believed that when things came tumbling down, that, you know, we would go back up to that high. And I think we are realizing that stability is probably more important than those ups and downs. And so for the steps that we take forward and do good work collaboratively as a council, we also face some setbacks. But we come together every time and discuss what we need to do next. And we don't back away from the issues that we're seeing. The event center, the climate emergency declaration, it's created a, a lot of uh, animosity from, you know, a lot of people. Has that surprised you, sort of the anger that you've gotten from a couple of issues like those? I don't think the anger in the world should surprise any of us. We've got a convoy of truckers headed to Ottawa. Um, we are hearing that the sergeant at arms has indicated that people's addresses are going to be doxxed. The mayor of Edson has had uh, threats issued that protests are going to be outside his home. There's anger everywhere. So it disappoints me, um, but we have to move past it. And when it comes to things like the climate declaration, I can tell you that the energy sector in this city is happy that the local government is in step with them. They're the ones that led us down the pathways to net zero by 2050. We have simply made the same commitment. There was a lot of talk with the last council that there was so much divisiveness between council members. We don't hear a lot about that with this council now. Do you feel like this group is pretty cohesive? I think any group can be cohesive if the environment is one where you let people have a voice. They feel seen and heard in the discussions that we have. The debates are open and transparent. And people are given an opportunity for leadership. And I think that's what's important here. We've got a council that's fairly new. Um, They are not tied to old ways. And they're interested in finding 
people to work with to make good things happen in the city. So it's, it's been successful to date, and I hope that carries on. Appreciate your time this morning, Mayor. Uh, have a great weekend. You too. Take care, Sue. Thank you very much. That is Calgary Mayor Jyoti Gondek. YMCA Calgary and Fresh Roots have partnered with the Leftovers Foundation to launch Kin Cafe and Kin Market. It's a pay-what-you-want market where Calgarians from all walks of life can get their hands on healthy, fresh groceries or maybe just pop in and enjoy a coffee and a donut. This morning, I'm joined by Kin Program Manager Paul Ananzello. Good morning to you, Paul. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Okay, explain. How does this market work exactly in your words? Yeah, so the Leftovers Foundation uh, started the the Kin Pilots, which is a, a pay-what-you-want market and a pay-what-you-want cafe. Um, and really that means, you know, anybody can have access to uh, this food and, and at a price that they can afford. We understand, you know, today, you know, everybody's budgets look differently. Everybody's income levels might have changed, you know, with COVID. And, and we're just trying to fill a gap and um, give people a dignified uh, way to access food. And Paul, where do you get the fresh produce, the bread, the eggs, all these pantry items? Where are you getting them from in order to make sure that they get into the hands of Calgarians who need it? Yeah, for the cafe, we're partnered with some great organizations that are right here in Calgary. Uh, Motherload Coffee Roasters is a, a newer uh, coffee roaster within Calgary, and we get our donuts from Ritual Donuts, which is another uh, local Calgary company. And the, the produce we get from H&W uh, in the Northeast. So these are organizations, companies that are, are donating the food to you so that you can make it available? Uh, no, we, we buy everything okay. fresh. And, um, you know, despite our, our name leftovers, uh, everything is, is fresh and, um, and good produce. Would you say the pandemic has increased the demand for community food organizations and programs like this one? Oh, for sure. And we're seeing about a 70%, you know, increase in demand for uh, these types of programs. And so, um, you know, the, the past two markets that we ran, um, we brought about three or 400 pounds of food and we were pretty much sold out of everything uh, within about an hour. So um, really seeing, you know, the need from the community and, and some, and some uh, uh, good stories coming out of it. So literally, if someone comes in and they simply cannot afford anything, they're able to get fresh produce in their hands? Exactly. Yeah, we um, we had an individual come into the market the other day and um, she was saying, you know, I, I'm i going to get paid on, on, on Saturday and so it's, you know, a few days until I get paid and I really don't have any money and my, I don't have any food for my kids for dinner tonight. You know, what can I take? And we said, you know, fill your basket, feed your family for the week. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's free. Um, and that's kind of what we're here to do. We're, we're here to serve the community. We understand some people might not have the means to pay for their groceries and others might step up and say, you know what, I'm going to pay for my neighbor and pay a little bit extra because I'm here to support my community. I just love this. Okay. The Kin Cafe, Kin Market, where do people find it? Is it open sort of seven days a week or, or what's the schedule? Yeah, we, uh, we have the cafe open in the Shaughnessy YMCA Monday to Wednesday from 8 to 3. And then the market will be at the, the Shaughnessy YMCA as well as the cafe from 11 to 2 on Saturday. And then in the Saddletown YMCA, the market will be there from 3 to 6 p.m. Is there a website, Paul, where people can find out that information and all the details each week? You can check us out at weareallkin.ca. Uh, if you're interested in volunteering or donate, please visit that webpage. Paul Ananzello, KIN Program Manager, thanks so much for telling us about it. Wonderful program. Appreciate your time. Thank you.
Every February, participating cafes, restaurants, and chocolatiers compete for the coveted title of YYC's Best Hot Chocolate and YYC's Best Chocolate overall. Come on, we know we love it. Find out how it all works. We're going to break it down with Cindy Browning, event coordinator for Meals on Wheels. Hi, Cindy. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. How are you? Excellent. I'm super excited because you have more participants than ever before. Tell us how many are part of YYC's uh, Best Hot Chocolate and how it's all going to work this year. Well, this year we have 112 locations on. That's up from just over 77 last year. So we're pretty excited about that. It is called the Hot Chocolate Fest. I'm just going to point that out because I've said it differently seven different times <laughs> as I introduced you. But uh, tell us, uh, you know, different categories and, and how do people get involved? It's a month long. So this is fantastic. Lots of time for folks. Yeah, we have um, the YWC's Best Hot Chocolate and YWC's Best Spirited Hot Chocolate. So, and how you get involved is you go to our website, uh, yychotchocolate.com, or download the app, which is brand new. Well, not The app isn't brand new, but there's some features of it that are, and I'll go into that in a moment. But um, get out there. You can go to one of the participating locations, pick up your favorite hot chocolate, go for a walk, take your friends, um, and then that's it. And, and a dollar between a dollar and three dollars from each cup sold comes back to Calgary Meals on Wheels, and it runs all month long. So it's a really easy event to support. I love it that Meals on Wheels is the charity. For those who might not really know what you folks do, what do you do, and, and where does that money get used? Well, that gets meals for uh, sorry. That get, the money gets used for producing meals for our clients. Uh, it goes into operations. Um, it supports mostly our clients, though. Um, we have about, um, last year we made 991,000 uh, meals were produced. Wow. And that's, it's, it's astounding the number of people that we support. Okay, so tell us about the app that you mentioned. Well, the app is fantastic. It's been really great, but this year we've made a couple of improvements to it. Um, when you go into the app, you can download it um, today, and the the participants have already been revealed on our website, so you can see who's participating, but uh, we'll reveal all of the actual drinks probably on Monday. But you can go into the app and see there's a map section, and you can see everywhere in Calgary this year where everybody's participating and see where those 112 locations are. And then when you get into the app and you're looking at the different drinks and you think, gosh, I really love that. I want, I want to go and try that. You hit the little heart button and it's going to go right into your favorites list. Perfect. Do you have on hand, you know, how much was raised last year through YYC Hot Chocolate Fest? Just under $60,000. Wow. So this is really a, a really big and important fundraiser for Meals on Wheels, isn't it? It is. It is. We did really well last year. Um, I don't want to say that the silver lining of COVID for us was that there was nothing else going on, but it really was. Uh, we doubled um, what we did the year before, and this year we're hoping to raise $60,000 again. Well, this is a great way also to support, you know, local restaurants uh, and et cetera, anywhere where you can get a delicious hot chocolate. So uh, send folks again to yychotchocolate.com. Thank you so much for joining us. It's delicious. It's fun. It kicks off February 1st, and it's the YYC Hot Chocolate Fest. Thanks, Cindy. Thank you. Cindy Browning, event coordinator for Meals on Wheels. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.